Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Near and Queer to My Heart. We're so happy to have you listening to this podcast. I'm Amanda G. I'm your host. I'm just happy to be back. I took uh, 11 days to go on a comedy tour on my way up from New Orleans all the way to Columbus where there was the Midwest Queer Comedy Festival. Um, My girlfriend and I took the trip. She joined me, my shotgun rider. I I like shotgun rider. I think it's sweet and cute. She doesn't like the word shotgun in there. But, you know, I like driving and looking and seeing her on the side. It's a beautiful thing. We did 2,409 miles, stopped in five different cities. We did Memphis, Cincinnati, Indianapolis, Louisville. Hope I said that right. I was told that's how you say it. And then we ended up in Columbus at the Midwest Queer Comedy Festival where there was, I think there was over 50 queer comics from all over the country that came, even Hawaii, there was someone from Hawaii all over the place coming to do comedy and just hang out and just be in these like queer comedic spaces. That was my favorite thing was in between shows or after shows just shooting this shit with people and just everyone riffing off each other. And these were, some of us had met before, some of us hadn't. Uh, we, we were able to reconnect with Ian Aber and Lauren Faber who are featured in past episodes. I met them in Memphis and they were back here for this. Um, and I'll get to see Ian again at the Cola Comedy Festival in Columbia, South Carolina, which I'm going to next month. The coolest thing I thought about the Midwest Queer Comedy Fest was I got to interview folks for this podcast. I did five interviews. Uh, We're bringing you this one today is the first of the five. Uh, But before we get to that, just got to do my social media stuff. I know I told you I'm terrible at it, trying to be better at it. So I'm doing it up top to remind y'all to interact with us. Let us know what you think. If you have questions for us, you got corrections for us, just give us a shout. We're on Facebook and Instagram, near and queer to my heart. And then on Twitter, because they have a character limit, even on names, we're just queer to my heart. Or you can email us. That's old school, right? Old school's email now? That's so weird. Near and queer to my heart at gmail.com. We like an old school email. It's, you know, private. You don't have to put your business out there. And, and it's a way for you to let us know what you're thinking. Also, if you like what you hear, go on iTunes. Give us a rating. Let us know. It was a good rating. <laughs> if you have a bad rating, use the old school email. I don't know. <laughs> we're, we're happy to be here, though. Always happy to be here. Rory Eustace is who we interviewed for this podcast. I didn't know him. I immediately, when I got to his house to do the interview... His, uh, he said he has a cat that never talks to anybody. I was like, don't worry, man, I got this. And that cat was all over me the whole time. It was fantastic. I loved it. I, I could have talked to him all day. It was so nice and fantastic. And we bonded over, you know, 90s movies and all sorts of other things. And I was walking to work today reminding me of 90s movies and it, it was about to rain it was like a little windy outside in new orleans you could tell here when it's about to rain you could just feel it in the air and there's this plastic bag and it's on the middle of poydras street uh at the loyola crosswalk if you know new orleans 
pretty major intersection right by City Hall, right by the courts, right by Dave and Buster's. I mean, can't get any more of a major intersection than that. And there's this like plastic bag just blowing in the wind. And then this car comes and just runs right over it. And it reminded me of that movie American Beauty, uh, which came out and I forgot the guy's real name, but I think his name's Ricky in, in the movie. And he says to Thora Birch, who he's trying to, he's trying to Mac on. And he's just like, hey, I'm this videographer and I'm so deep. Do you want to see the most beautiful thing I've ever filmed in my life? And she was like, yeah, boo. That's not what she said. She was like, yeah, sure, cool, whatever. So he plays her this video and it's this video of a plastic bag just floating in the wind. And he's telling this girl that he's hitting on that the most beautiful thing he's seen is a plastic bag in the air. Now look, that could be the most beautiful thing, but when you're talking to a lady that you're attracted to, maybe don't lead off with a plastic bag, you know? Maybe save that for like the one year anniversary. That always stuck with me and now every time I see a plastic bag, I definitely think of that of that scene in that movie and how angry it made me at the time and how it kind of still does. I don't know, but Rory and I didn't talk about American Beauty, but we talked about so much more than that. We talked about so many wonderful things and I'm so excited to bring this interview to you. So please give it up. Rory Eustace. Hey, Rory. Hey, how's it going? It's good. It's good. Thank you for having me. We're at Rory's house right now with his adorable cat and dog, who <laughs> I've just been told cuddle together. They do. Which is amazing. They love each other. And they're the same colors. So they blend in together, and it's kind of like a weird camouflage thing. But they're they're crazy. They're good. Mm-hmm. You live in Columbus. Yep. Where, where are you from originally? I'm from Cleveland. Uh, well, east side of Cleveland, which no one really knows where like Menor, Ohio is, but it's it's close enough to Cleveland, that's why I say. But I moved here probably like, I think four or five years ago, something like that. Cleveland, born and raised until you graduated high school? Uh, yeah, and then I went to college at Wittenberg University. Yay, go Tigers, I guess, whatever. Um, it's between like Dayton and Columbus, basically, in Springfield, Ohio, which there isn't really anything else around there. But it's, it's a cool place. I liked it a lot, which is where I started doing comedy stuff anyways. Why did you choose that school? I, I actually picked uh, my home out on a map, and I drew like a three-hour circle around <laughs> Cleveland. And like anything close to this line is where I will apply. Because I wanted to be like far enough away that I don't see my family, but close enough if I wanted to see them, it wasn't going to be like an arm and a leg to go back. So it was on that cusp, and they had some good programs, and I just loved the campus and everything. So For me, I was like, okay, how, how far can I go where I can still be in a state school? Because I'm broke as fuck, <laughs> but also I'm far enough away that like I will be away from my family. Oh, yeah, for sure. What did you major in in college? I majored in psychology and neuroscience. Okay, so not theater. No, not at <laughs> all. I, uh, I definitely did some theater, and then I did like an improv group, but... Nope, all psych and neuro, which is what I do for my job now. So, yeah, I think it's been about half people that majored in theater or started out majoring in theater, yeah. realizing like that's not actually what they want to do. Yeah, I think that's a huge population of them. <laughs> I think like everyone wants to be an actor, right? Like, or everyone wants to be somehow incorporated into the media some way because it's glamorous or it's money making or what have you. But then you realize there's a lot of bullshit that goes with it. Yeah, I, I never wanted to be an actor because to me, like, acting stressed me out because you have to, like, cry on command. Oh, yeah. And I, and I feel like that's, like, a, a power from the gods that if I actually had it, yeah. it would be problematic. Like, I would use it for evil. Oh, yeah. I would cry to get whatever I wanted. 
Yeah, I would cry every time I saw a cop trying to yep. issue me a ticket. I would cry at the movie theaters if I like thought the movie was too violent and wanted my money you back. <laughs> it was the most bullshit thing ever. It's like, oh, I already got through like three quarters of the movie, but I want my money back. <laughs> I would be that person though, because I would just have this ability. So I was like, that always scared me. But I know like a lot of comics, like, you know, once you quote unquote make it, like they're like, oh, great, go into a bunch of movies. Right. Which I, I mean, sometimes it's great and sometimes it's like, no, what are you doing? Like, like Seth Rogen is always the same person in every fucking movie like if he were to do a dramatic movie I'd be very surprised but then you have someone like Robin Williams who did all of this like comedy stuff and then like Dead Poet Society and One Hour Photo and all and like What Dreams May Come which are clearly not comedies and Goodwill Hunting oh yeah yeah did I not say that one what did no, I say you said One Hour Photo which was good he was yeah. creepy in that one. Oh, he was creepy as fuck in that one <laughs> he did a good job though but I think yeah it's true like I think comedians when they jump into like the all the other stuff, it's kind of hard to uh, take them out of the comedy of it. But I feel like they all try it at some point. I don't know. I was on a rant yesterday at the bar about Along Came Polly, that movie with Ben Stiller and Jennifer yeah. Aniston. And my girlfriend was like, that's one of my favorite movies. And I was like, this is the worst piece of garbage I've ever seen. And then when she asked me why, I was just going on about like how, you know, like, so you have Ben Stiller's like the actuary guy. He's a, uh, you know, straight lace. He doesn't, yeah. he, he has like 17 throw pillows on his mm-hmm. bed. And then Jennifer Aniston's like the fun, earthy, like whatever right. goes kind of chick. Hippie. And then she like opens up his world and i'm like but what the fuck does he do for her right yeah no and is she just using him or what and the when that movie came out and like the moment it jumped the shark for me is when they took philip seymour hoffman who is a fantastic incredible actor when they made him like shart or something and there's a whole poop joke for a while and then he was just real sweaty like what what's happening? What does any of this have to do with anything else? No, and it, it wasn't funny. Like they just tried no. to use the word "shart" as funny, and I'm like, yeah, no, it's a funny word. Yeah. Like "queef" is a funny word, but if you don't do anything with it, right? You're not you're not doing it. I don't know. The thing with the movie that really drove me nuts is I, number one, I didn't see any sort of like connection between the two. No, I know you came on this podcast just to talk about this. Oh movie, no, but I'm I, still like livid. I'm yeah. like I'm still like and this and and like everything. The thing was like Ben Stiller was comfortable with just being this guy who. Knew knew every item in his house because he'd written right. it down on a piece of paper Which, and he had a number and that's fine with his life. He was fine with that. And every time he tried something new because he was told you're boring, try something yeah. new, it failed. Right. Oh, try Indian food. Oh, then he gets really sick and it's really weird and also not funny. Right. But, and like that's, and it's like, maybe just stay in your lane, bro. Right. Well, as someone in the IBS community, I was very offended by that scene. <laughs> no, I mean, there wasn't any... There wasn't any substance to it. And not to say that comedy has to be substancy, right? Like, there's slapstick humor, which is great, and, like, certain people can pull it off real fucking well. But then you have, like, what are we actually doing? Like, what is the plot? What is the story? To me, that's the story about, like, someone with severe OCD who needs to be in therapy and someone who hasn't paid a bill in the last 50 years. Like, that's it. And there's no... There's nothing... They have nothing to do with each other. And I don't even know how it ends. It doesn't end with them not being together i i want to say yes yeah i I just don't care i don't yeah i don't think i finished it it wasn't good and i'm not saying like you can't make like like sharp jokes like like bridesmaids i think has the best shitting scene i've ever seen in my fucking life because because like a woman in a in a wedding gown shitting in the street praying that it isn't happening is fucking hilarious because there's like i don't know i'm gonna use the word juxtaposition because i read it once in a book but like 
That's funny. They went to a, a nice lunch, and then they're at this fancy place trying on dresses. And yeah. Melissa McCarthy's just like out of my way. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, I don't know. Like the whole scene was just like beautifully orchestrated, right. and then it ends yeah with Maya Rudolph sitting in the street, which is fucking hilarious, and still one of my favorite things. Well, she she keeps saying like uh, it's happening, yeah. it's happening, <laughs> and then she's like, it happened. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love it. No, and that's. That's a huge difference, and I think that's a difference between comedians who took the reins who were writing and doing the movie versus someone who was, some producer who was like, we're going to make a funny movie rom-com, and we're going to just use these three big actors and throw them in together and see what happens. Like, that's the difference. Like, one was a genuine, I felt like an actual, someone, they sat down and wrote it, everyone who was in it, and then the others are just produced garbage. Yeah, I also like, because I, I feel like Bridesmaids and a, a lot of the Seth Rogen, Judd Apatow films, they do a lot of improv. Because yeah. they like they know each other, they trust each other. Right, and that's that's kind of the beauty of having that type of direction, I think, is when you have that open concept and you're not scripted so to a T. Like, you have to be a really good writer to be able to make everything funny just based on what's on the page. But then when you have someone like these these improv actors who actually have the the chops to actually go up there and just throw shit out there and see what happens. Like, that's when it gets hilarious. I mean, that's when, and I'm going to keep going back to him, but like Robin Williams, if you go back and watch, there's footage somewhere of him on Aladdin being the genie, and they have hours of him just rambling because he just goes. And then they just picked out what they could and what was appropriate for children, which wasn't a lot of it. But it still was incredible because it was just honest and genuine, which I think is the big difference. Yeah, and I think, like, because I actually forgot Philip Seymour Hoffman. I'm back on Along Came Paul. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot he was in that, but I think for him, like, he had done all these serious roles, and he wanted to just be the, like, funny, you know, friend. Yeah. Like, he really wanted to do that, and then this was not the right film for that. No, absolutely not. I don't, I mean, he was in The Big Lebowski, and he had, like, one or two comedic moments, but there wasn't a lot, and I don't know of anything else that he was supposed to be funny in. Everything. I mean, he's a tremendous actor, but I don't know what else he would have been put in. And that movie just wasn't a good outlet for it at all. Well, I'm glad you agree with me. Yeah. <laughs> I was like going off at the bar and everyone's like, why do you care about this movie that came out 10 years ago? And I oh, was like, no, there's there's definitely movies I will do that. Like the last Star Wars, I will I will yell on top of a bar stand to like. Make sure everyone knows that I was not happy with it. I, I haven't seen the newer. So I saw the original three growing up. Yeah. And then I saw when the, the, what is it, one, two, and three? Right. When those came out in theaters, I actually went to like midnight. I don't know why. I wasn't even that into it. I went to all the Lord <laughs> of the Rings and I went to all the Star Wars because I was in around college time and that's what we did. And then I haven't seen any of the newer ones because I was, I don't like that Disney's involved. Right. Right. Yeah. And Disney definitely, they're so weird because they, they've done a really good job with Marvel. And they've done a really good job with all those superhero movies. But Star Wars, is it's a weird one because the fans are insane. <laughs> and Like, I'm a huge fan. And I'm crazy. I know I am. But you have people who are just, they're angry about, like, word choice or anything else. Whereas, like, Marvel, it's like, whatever, they have superheroes. Like, you've suspended your disbelief already. But Star Wars, for some reason, like, they have these set rules. And as soon as they, like, go outside of them, people lose their fucking mind. And that's what I've done. Like, I lost my mind over The Last Jedi. Yeah, I just I just think, like, those movies originally, I feel like they were originally made for adults. And yeah. And now they're making them family-friendly. And I'm already, like, I hated Little Anakin, like, in the... Oh, God, I, yeah. I, I forgot what that movie's even called, but I fucking hated that kid, and I'm the sorry. Phantom Menace. Yeah. The Phantom Menace, yeah. He... Who was that actor? He was garbage. I, children <laughs> actors suck anyways, but, like... 
they twitch. And I don't, the twitchy, it bothers me. It's like children singing. Children's choruses singing might be the most horrific noise <laughs> next to like hearing some footsteps in the attic that you don't have an attic. Like, they're horrifying and they're not good. I, mm. Yeah, no, I, I, it's very rare that I'm like, that kid can act. And that, or that kid didn't annoy me. Even if they can act, sometimes yeah. they're so, like, like the kid from The Sixth Sense, I just found him really annoying. Oh, yeah. Well, and it's also, it's when you, when you put a child next to someone like Bruce Willis or someone who's like an actual actor. Or Tony Collette. Yeah, and then you see like, oh, oh, that's a child. Like, <laughs> and that's, I, I mean, that's my issue with like the Jungle Book when it came out, the new live action one. I'm like, this kid can't, he, he's just spouting words. He, they're sliding out of his face and there's no emotions with any. I get he was raised by like a bear and a cat, but like, come on. I, ugh, I have opinions. But, like, children actors, uh, what was AI? Do you remember AI? I do remember AI. That he was, was a good. very long movie. It, very long and unnecessarily long. They could have made it, like, two movies. But who was an actor? I can't Wasn't remember. Wasn't that the same kid from The Sixth Sense? It might have been. I think he was older. He was older. He was older and he was definitely more tolerable, but also because he didn't have to show emotion, which I think is like all children should be just robots in every movie. It's like, oh, don't worry, the kid's a robot, so that's why he has no facial expressions because he can't do them. Do you watch like classic, like, not classic, like isn't, because now whenever I turn on the TV, they're like classic movie time, John Hughes, Pretty in Pink. Right. I mean, classics, like I love like 30s to 60s. Yeah, I mean, like, the golden age of cinema was a really wild time because you, they didn't have the technology to make these incredible things. Everything was handmade, and everything had to be filmed so appropriately that you didn't know it. And that, that to me, that's that's real intelligent art. Like, I'm not saying CGI isn't, but I'm saying that, like, that was such a gritty and raw moment that is really, we don't have that anymore. And that's when it's impressive when you watch a movie that does all, like, practical effects and everything it's really impressive but like i took a, a history i think it was history of film class in college and it was wild because you really did go back and realize this was huge no one i mean it was the birth of its own kind no i agree i think cgi is garbage i hate it so much they used to like even in the 80s like in this there was um like ghostbusters and alien yeah. um they had models like they had to build real models but back then even star wars like i don't know a lot about i'm, I'm not gonna like match you in, in star wars but i know in like the first few movies like they would put vaseline on the camera to make it look like the vehicles didn't have wheels like they yeah. had to get creative mm -hmm. they used models that ended up actually looking really good because they didn't have a budget and that's what i think i think you should give everyone no budget yep. even after they get big i'm like fuck you you get no budget right um and then that forces you to be creative and to use you know what you have well and it also forces you to write better too because you have to have something that's going to carry the plot along without any actual like you don't have to rely on the visuals like people lost their shit over avatar avatar was just pocahontas with guns with better guns and it wasn't I don't think Avatar was a bad movie. It was visually stunning, but the plot was kind of stupid. Like, there wasn't... They're like, oh, we got to go for this, like, ore thing. But I'm like, so you have to murder the entire planet to do it? Like, there's mountains floating. Don't you want to understand how that's <laughs> happening first? Like, it was just... It was dumb. But I think that CGI, unfortunately, because it's so ubiquitous now, it's all over the place, that it's hard to find a movie that isn't just utilizing well-written plots 
or storylines. My dad told me this. I don't know if it's true. I think he just wants to ruin Titanic for me because yeah. I still, I do stand behind Titanic. They did have a big budget, mm -hmm. but James Cameron built like real life models of, of oh, the yeah. ships. Like he, he's obsessed yeah, with it. Yeah, it was like every little detail had to be exactly like the models would be like shrunk, you know, like mm -hmm. it was a smaller one. He would measure out every piece, like every nail that was in there was the exact measurement that it, that it should be. Like he was so precise with that. And I think, I mean, that movie, whether you love or hate the, the movie, you yeah. can agree it is visually stunning it is you know he he sunk a ship like he had when the when the ship tipped back and they were like sinking they actually were going into the water oh yeah was, you know really cool but my dad said they're bringing back titanic and they're doing something where it's like if jack sorry spoiler alert if jack would have lived like what I, everyone's seen it by now right yeah like, no I, whatever there's a door he could have fit and she was too selfish and she wanted the door to herself i don't know but no, so they're bringing it back or? They're thinking of bringing it back and it's good, but it's going to be like CG, like they're going to CGI their faces so that Leo and Kate look like, like they actually like survive and get off the boat, which that movie came out, I think in 97 or 99. Something like that. Yeah. So it, it's, it's been some time. It's been, you know, almost 20 years, if not 20 years. So like you're going to have, cause Leo also like, he looked like a boy then. Yeah. And now, yeah. Now he looks like a man. Like he's kind of, uh, you know. He's, he's sexy now. Yeah. I'm all, yeah, I take that Leo dick, that's fine. <laughs> I, so wait, what the, what's the plot? They live? Yeah, so they both live, and then, I don't know, like, I guess they, they get married and then just fight all the time. I don't know what, what they, they would do. Their marriage sinks as well. <laughs> yeah, they just have traumatic, like, flashbacks to it. I, that sounds stupid. <laughs> like, it's, they're just doing something for the sake of making money off, because people are going to go see it. Yeah, that's like my Star Wars. Like, I'll fucking see it. Yeah. And they're like, I hate myself for doing it. And I'm like, I hate that. If they would CGI their faces to look young, which is a thing they're doing now, is they're yeah. like getting actors and then they're somehow like making them, like it's them acting, but right. they make their face look younger. And I like, I hate this concept so much, but it's like, this is a, a thing. I was like 14 or 15 when it came out. So I was all in. I saw it in the theaters three times. You know, it was, I was so upset. My mom wouldn't let me miss school the day it came out. <laughs> to go see it because all the other girls in school did. I mm. wait till Sunday morning. I saw a 10 a.m. showing. Like, they were doing so many yeah. showings because it was like all the teenage girls were like, we have to see That's this. That's their shit, yeah. That's the strangest love story that people get addicted to. I'm also, like, a big Disney slut. Like, clearly, like, I have Mickey and shit all over the place. But, like, I don't know. I like Disney. And maybe it's because it's my escapism from this nightmarish life that is reality. <laughs> like, because life is a living nightmare. But I think that... uh I love Disney. I'm actually going there in October. Can't wait. To world or land? World. Yeah. So I grew up in LA, so like I was always like, oh, Disney World, like that's like the same thing as us, but we're better. Right. Have you been to Disney World? I have been to Epcot because yeah. when I went there, so I didn't know there's like seven different worlds there. Yeah. And everyone is like 80 to to $100 to get in. So I was like, pick one. And then I just picked Epcot because right. we, we don't have that. They don't have like a version of that yeah. in LA. So I did that. It was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. um, just went around to the different uh, countries and I was broke. So I would just go in their gift shop and take pictures with me and hats and <laughs> shirts that I didn't buy. Yeah. Well, that's close enough because you buy this shit and you come home and like, I'm never going to wear this. Like, where am I going to wear this out to? <laughs> like, There's no where they, that sh those shirts are appropriate, really. Yeah, that's how I end up getting them at Goodwill. Yeah. <laughs> like, I got a shirt from the World Cup from Brazil. So it's from the official World Cup Brazil shirt. Someone flew to Brazil, fucking paid whatever to watch the game, get this shirt, and then got back and was like, why do I want this shirt? Right. And send it to Goodwill, and I got it for $4. I hope it was from, like, a divorce or something. Like, <laughs> someone was just like, get out of my house, and they just, like, give all their shit away. I wish I could come upon a Goodwill after someone's like, you cheated on me, I'm going to give all your good shit to Goodwill. Yeah. <laughs> and then I show up, and I'm like, hi. Like, here we go. I hope it's my size. That's why you have to go to the Goodwills in, like, the rich areas, because, like, 
that's some good shit that you're <laughs> getting rid of. Like, I don't have a lot of money, but I live in a rich area because of, I don't know how. But uh, the Goodwill's are really nice around here. Yeah, I'm looking at my girlfriend and I want to check. Of course, we were like, we have to go to thrift stores. And you guys have the out-of-the-closet ones. Yep. Uh, which I know in LA are amazing. They're like bright pink and they're fabulous. Oh, this and one's this one's pretty nice. I didn't know that they were there was more. I didn't know there was a chain. I didn't. I thought it was just one. No, I think they started in San Francisco. And what they used to do is raise. Um, I don't quote me on this, but I think they used to take the money that they got from the thrift store, and um, it was to help with HIV and AIDS prevention and testing. Oh. And um, so they actually like were like, here's what we're actually going to do with the money, and then they did it. Yeah. That's fantastic. I, I know that they do they do the HIV testing in the one in Columbus and a few other things as well. I think they do some fundraising too. That's really cool. I love stuff like that. Yeah, because you know a lot of people say, "Oh, I don't want to give to this nonprofit because only like ten percent of the money actually goes." But yeah, it's like there are administration costs mm-hmm. for all of these things, and I get that. But it is good to see like them being like, "Here's how many people we've helped right. with medication. Here's exactly where your money's going." I used to work for a nonprofit, and people love to ask, like, "Well, how much money is actually going to this?" I'm like. Well, look, I need to eat, so I get some money so I can exist. But most of it's going to help people, but people are, get real shitty about where their money goes. Yeah, no, I work at a nonprofit, and yeah, we have we, we need to have an office to work in, but, like, our budget is so shoestring. I'm like, if you understood, like, how we share tape dispensers. Like, oh, yeah. Like, Supply, you, <laughs> you really become a scavenger. And all of a sudden, like, I didn't know this. this Who left this desk here? It's mine. Like, I'm taking it. We had a lady that retired. And then before she even left, there was post-its all over her desk and her chair about, like, who was going to get her shit. (laughs) Everyone's already claimed ownership. They've already peed on everything. (laughs) Like, they got what they want. I I like working in nonprofit world. I love it. So I worked in corporate America, and I fucking hated my life. And I think the big difference is that you're forced to get creative in nonprofit. You're forced to really... Find a way to get things done without anything. And that's awesome. I think that's a really empowering thing to do. And that's, I think that's why a lot of comedians are, I know a lot of comedians who work in nonprofits or volunteer and do stuff like that too. So when you graduated college, what was your next move? Uh, so I graduated college in 2013. The economy hadn't like fully recovered yet, especially where my parents lived. And so when I was up there, the only job I could get was at like H.H. Gregg. Which, do you know what that is? Is it like appliances? And- yeah, it was okay. like the shitty version of Best Buy. They are, have since been bankrupt. <laughs> and they were a nightmare. Um, everything was commission-based, which, what? That has, it's not the 1950s. And uh, I was there for a while. And then another friend of mine, comedian down here, helped me get a job at Nationwide Insurance. So I came down here, wasn't happy working in claims about people yelling about their total Hondas. After that... I think I went to work for Muscular Dystrophy Association, the nonprofit, and then I went to Nationwide Children's, and now I'm at OSU. So <laughs> it's kind of been a bouncing around a lot. What What have you liked the best? Well, I've liked, I've kind of liked them like increasing amounts. Like I, I loved working for MDA. I love their mission. You know, I really care about those families and those kids and helping out. I liked working at the Children's Hospital, like you know, these places where you really make a difference. And now at OSU, working in like neurology and stuff, it's a really cool environment and it's really supportive, and everyone's really. Everyone cares. I mean, it's one of those things where, like, everyone is there because they want to be there. And, you know, everyone could get up and leave if they wanted to, but everyone keeps coming in because they like what they do and they enjoy it, which is awesome. And it's hard to find that. So as far as, like, comedy, so you started in college? Yeah, I tried out for the improv group and got in, but I didn't 
I didn't go to get in. I actually went because a friend of mine wanted to try out and she was real nervous. So I went with her and they ended up asking me to join. Um, which <laughs> did, I was, did she get in too? No, it was just me. <laughs> and so I got in and I just got to uh, do improv. It was really cool. And I, growing up, like I was a really, I was really quite reserved. Like I was a real small little Catholic kid and I never wanted to like offend anyone or do anything wrong. And like, I didn't come out of the closet until I was like 18 and I really comedy and improv really allowed for me to express myself and open my mind up to different ideas I never really considered before and having the support of other people who were just as open-minded about stuff, which is cool. Um, and then once I graduated, I started doing, you know, open mics and trying it out. And now I, I'm hooked. It's hard to get away from it. What was your improv troupe called? Uh, Pocket Lint. Um, <laughs> Pocket Lint was a really great, great improv group at Wittenberg University. And, um, they, we had shows all the time. We would do weird antics and crazy shit all the time. Um, and we had, you know, it was kind of like a little bit like Whose Lines It Anyway, but it was, uh, definitely more loose and open to, uh, more criticism. I love, every time someone's like, oh, I did improv, they, they always forget to tell their troop name. That's why oh, I was yeah. like, hey, what's your, because the troop names are hilarious and yeah. awesome. Do you find that there's any, and I found this in different places, like not tension, but like that there's like an improv community and there's a stand-up community and they don't really like uh, mix, mix or, or consider each other's art form like uh, better or worse than the other. Well, it, possibly. I mean, I, I, I don't, I only know a few improv people in Columbus. Um, and they're all great. They're all wonderful. I think that there's a lot of good talent here. Um, there's actually some overlap for sure. I know a lot of improv people who also do stand-up comedy and vice versa. So I don't, I don't see the tension. I think that there are different forms of a very similar art, but I think that everyone can use some improv skills and everyone can use some stand-up skills. Like if you're, I mean, you know this, like you're up there and you're doing a set and things aren't going well, you got to whip something out. You got to make it work. And having that ability to to change gears and just keep saying yes and going, it's indispensable. I mean, that's good for everything in life. I've talked my way out of a lot of shit in life because of improv. <laughs> yeah. And I took one improv class because I thought I was like, okay, because my stand up, I stand still and I talk. I'm yeah. not like a big, uh, you know, I'm not like Robin Williams on yeah. stage, like no running around. Yeah. yeah. Like running around. So like, I don't, I stand there and I tell my jokes and I, and I don't really act them out and I don't. So I was like, I'm going to take improv and I'm going to learn yeah. how to do all this stuff. And what I learned is even during improv, I still just use my words. I didn't really act right. things out. So I was like, you are who you are on stage, right. you know, and that just kind of comes naturally. I think that's that's true. And I and it's interesting because I know people who are improv comics and they're crazy on improv. And then when I see them they stand, they just stand there. They don't move. And they, they're very uh, stoic and they're very quiet, which I think is fantastic. I love the scene of the dichotomy that people have. Um, but I've, I've tried, like, I used to just get up there and just stand there. And I found myself really uncomfortable with it. And then I more recently really kind of come into my own and... Um, gotten over a lot of like body dysmorphia and now I'm like, okay, whatever. I'm just going to do whatever makes it funny and see what happens. So, yeah. Um, so, so when you were in an improv, like when you join an improv troupe or when you're chosen, is there any sort of like initiate, is it like a frat? Is it like that kind of like a brotherhood or partnership or? Yeah. So it, uh, I mean, I can't speak for all of them. Only the one I was in. <laughs> only um, Pocket Lint. <laughs> yeah. Pocket Lint was, it was insane. We definitely had a hazing process and it was one of my favorite. There's a one point they like blindfolded us besides dropping us off in Columbus and making us do stand up. They like blindfolded us and like dropped us off in the woods somewhere. And like, then we had to find our way out without a flashlight. It was like middle of the night. 
and there was like all these weird caves and everything and the one comedian who had been in it as well pat deering who you probably have met here down here before mm-hmm. he was like somewhere in the caves like making noises and like saying these like atrocious things and we were like losing our shit trying to find a way out <laughs> there's a few other nights that we had to like make up entire sets and we could only use like a blanket a lighter and some like paper cutouts to do a whole story and everything and then something caught on fire and it was a whole mess but yeah there was there was definitely some uh initiation to it but it, de- it did make us all learn to play off of each other a lot better yeah, if they left me in the woods blindfolded, I would have quit. Yeah. <laughs> That's the scariest thing in the world to me. Like, just being in the woods, period, even if I did, wasn't blindfolded. But you guys made it out. Everyone made it out. Yeah, without any instructions. Yeah, <laughs> it was kind of wild. And they never, like, picked us up. We had to, like, get out and walk back, like, a couple miles to our cars and then drive away. It was it was definitely insane. The woods, yeah, woods are dangerous. There's That's how you... That's how you die most of the time. <laughs> so this is a question that I ask everybody and take any piece of it or all of it at once. I just ask it at once um, because sometimes the answer is all together and sometimes it's separate. But um, it's kind of the coming out, yeah. uh, you know, because it's not just one coming out. It's yeah. not just like, hey, guys, like oh, we're done. Right. It's it's this process. So the questions are, uh, when did you first come out to yourself? Mm-hmm. When did you come out to your friends and family? And that can also be different. Because yeah. Sometimes people like tell their mom and their dad and then they don't tell anybody else or they tell right. their best friend, you know, so that could be different pieces too. And then when, when, if there was a time, did you come out doing comedy or were you always, you know, out on stage? Whew, so many <laughs> questions. I, I, I want to say I always knew, but being raised Catholic in a fairly conservative town and family, I didn't really accept it. And I, I did a lot of like, you know, introspection and praying and stuff to try and pray myself straight and everything. I basically put myself in camp and tried to take myself to a gay camp and pray the gay away. Um, I, I pretty much always knew. And I think that once puberty started and everything, I realized that like walking down the aisles and looking at like the underwear models being like, mm, that's, that's it. That's what I want. Like <laughs> I enjoy these, I, leave the panties somewhere else. I don't care what that is. I, I need to buy, I don't even need to wear these. I just want the picture. And then of course, you know, when, you know, we finally got a computer that basically barely connected to the internet. You know, you explore everything. And I, I totally crashed the computer multiple times. <laughs> and I remember I wasn't out yet. And I wasn't really accepting that I was gay, even though I was exclusively watching gay porn. <laughs> and I uh, like totaled. I gave the computer so many like viruses <laughs> and issues that my mother went through and she was like, uh, where are all these like. I didn't understand that there was history on the internet. Oh, or no. Quick, no one had explained this to me. No. And so then she's like, what is all this? I'm like, uh, it, was, it was some, I clicked something on accident and it just went there. <laughs> it just, you know, tried to talk myself out of it. You know, I think my parents knew for a while too. And then I came to terms with it and finally accepted it, I think in probably like 2008. I was like 17. And I remember feeling certain ways and having friends that I was, I didn't understand why I felt the way I did. And I remember telling one of my friends, like, hey, I might be bisexual or something. I don't know. I'm figuring it out. And I, you know, it was that antic moment because we, you know, you had the texting where you didn't, you couldn't, like, you didn't have the whole QWERTY keyboard. You had to, like, press a seven, like, 12 mm-hmm. times to get, like, the right letter. And, like, t- like typing it out, like, vigorously, <laughs> sending it to someone. And then that moment, like, that that pause waiting for the response. Like, cause you didn't get the, like, did they receive it or anything? Like, just knowing, like. They, it's there and you're waiting for them to say something back. And I remember 
I told my friend, like, hey, I might be in the men. And it was like a five minute wait. And then she responded back. She's like, cool, you want to go shopping? Like, she just, <laughs> it was cool, whatever. And I was like, oh, thank God. And then I, you know, told some other friends who were like, well, duh. Like, we knew. I'm like, well, give me a break. So that's kind of when I, I started coming out. I, I told some of my friends first. And then I, I didn't tell my parents because I didn't know how they were going to react. Like, I knew they loved me and there wasn't a question about that. But we had never really had a discussion about it. And as far as I understood, that was not the stance of the Catholic Church, that it was something that we would accept. I remember I started going to therapy and I told my parents it was anxiety, but it really, I mean, it was anxiety. It was also like, I need to talk to someone about what I'm going through. And I was taking a nap one day, which don't ever wake me up from a nap. And my mom woke me up and somehow she had saw, it got in my emails and saw emails to my therapist that were talking about things and confronted me, you know, asked me like, when was I going to tell them? And I was just laying there in bed. She was like, sitting at the edge of my bed. And I was just like, well, I guess now, like, this is it. Like you brought this, like, here we go. And she was fine with it. I mean, she was just like, okay, are you seeing someone? I'm like, yeah, the the boy we took on vacation to Disney world that you gave us our own hotel room. (laughs) She's like, oh, I don't, that's fine. I don't want to think about it. I'm like, okay, cool. And she's like, yeah, I tell your dad. I wasn't concerned. My dad's like one of the most loving, kind, open-hearted people ever. I think I told him at like midnight when he was like barely awake. He's like, can we talk about this tomorrow? And I thought he was mad at me. He's like, no, he just, he want to go to sleep. Like, and, you know, we chatted out and, um, you know, we had the whole like, this is what you know, the religion says and yada, yada, yada. And I said, well, I know what religion says, but if you want to see me, for the rest of your life, you're going to get over it. And they did. And they kind of, you know, have been down the path and they're great supporters now. And they, uh, when the last in town, they wanted to go to the gay bar because they wanted to see where I hang out. And they went in there and they thought it was great. My mom said that it didn't seem as gay as she thought it would be, which I don't know what that means. <laughs> like, <laughs> what did you expect? <laughs> doesn't be seen on the TVs. And what was the other? Oh, the stage question. I've always been out on, I think I've always been out on stage. Yeah, because uh, the first time I did stand up was when I was in the improv group and I was definitely out by then. I remember the first, it was actually, I've always been out on stage, but the first time I got up there and said it in front of a group of people that I didn't know or anything like that, that's when I really, that was hard. That was really hard to face and hear my own voice through a microphone say, yeah, I'm gay. And it definitely took me back and I definitely needed a few drinks to do it, but it happened. (laughs) And it's been pretty good ever since. So And so you were raised Catholic. Were you ever religious? And are you still now? Yeah. So I was raised Catholic and I was real into it as a kid. Like, I think that most people, because uh, I went to like a Catholic high school and everything. Like, it was all, it was a huge part of my life. Most kids who are raised Catholic, like, well, maybe I'll become a priest. I don't know. Which, glad I didn't. I have my issues with religion as a whole. Catholicism's like, it's not inherently bad. It's not for me. I was a deeply religious person, and now I, I would say I'm more spiritual, but more I am fine with the unknown, really, I guess, because there's shit we're never going to figure out, and if there's something that we don't know, that's fine. Like, I'm not going to worry about it. It's not worth worrying about, but I'm also not going to pretend that I know what the fuck any of it is. So no, I, I, I don't really subscribe to any religious entities or anything at this point. I just kind of try to embrace shit as it comes, you know? 
And do they ever talk about, and just even like, because I, I feel like I've talked to a few people on this podcast who have been to Catholic schools and they have such different, some of the Catholic schools are like, they'll talk about sex, but like, don't do it. And they just drill that into you. And some of them like, just don't talk about it at all. Yeah. And some of them, same with like, uh, being gay, like some of them just, they don't talk about it because they're like, just nobody is. And that's right. Like, or some people are like, this is, the, these are the things that are going to send you to hell. And they'll be like, yay, we'll send right. you to hell. Right. My, my Catholic high school is run by nuns. So it was really a unique experience that was and they never really talked about i mean if it ever came up they'd just be like well it's a sin and that's the end of it there wasn't ever any like yelling or bible smacking or anything like that when we did have health class that we were taught about like sex there was never a discussion about gay sex or anything like that or protection it was just like oh here's sex but abstinence first type of thing which as we all know doesn't work (laughs) um actually leads to more births and more abortions and everything which is not what those people want, so it's not really helpful to anyone. Um, and I do remember, like, sitting in health class, going through, like, vaginal sex and being like, nope, not for me. I know this. I, this is this is concrete. Sister Sister Joanne does not need to keep telling me about this. Yeah. A nun telling you about oral sex and everything is not, you don't want it. Like, no. it, it confirmed for me what I've been feeling for years, is that I don't, I'm, it's all, I like dick. It's fine. No, I mean... It, and I think that there is people who get really upset. I know that a lot of people, a lot of comedians were raised Catholic, and I don't know what that's yeah. about. And I think it's because it's 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 not just like an, an like an off brand of Christianity, right? Like Catholicism was first, and then they broke away based on different sects came out of it, and then you had oh my god, the Lutherans broke off, and that was a new form of Christianity. And then you had, you know, the, the English church became their own pope or whatever. And so it just kept kind of splitting. But Catholicism really had this this strong, I don't want to say cult, but like they had so many traditions that were so obscure and so out of touch with what you would really expect that it was hard to really, I love explaining it to people because people who don't, who weren't raised Catholic, it's a whole different world. It really is. And they're like, what the hell are they wearing to him? Like, it's called a habit. Like, get over it. Like, there's, I, before I quit one of my jobs once, I would spend the last, like, four days just interneting, whatever. I spent a good day on, like, religious headgear because I thought it was really fascinating. Like, it's all over the place. But, no, I don't, there's a lot of comedians who are Catholic. And I, I really do think it's because when you're raised in a belief system of any type that is so rigid and so clear-cut without any sort of leeway, you can't help but, like, sort of rebel against it at some point and just to understand what else is out there and you realize that it's all for naught. Like, it's all just obscure. Because I I was raised Jewish, and Mm -hmm. so... But yeah, the last... I would say, like, the last four interviews I've done, I think three of the comic queer queer comics have been Catholic and went to Catholic school. And so that makes sense because for Jewish people, like we're taught to question, like we're taught that's good to ask questions. And Mm -hmm. I feel like I also think we're taught in a way that like humor is an acceptable form of expression. Yeah. So we do that from a very young age and we think like everybody does that. That's awesome. But I think us asking questions also makes us, you know, like because comedians like, what's the deal with it? Like, like (laughs) airline food. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's just us having dinner conversations. Yep. No, that's, that's, that's a totally different world. That's awesome. I mean, I, I've always, I've never met a Jewish person I didn't like. <laughs> They're always so chill. Like, I love it. I think that's, it's a different, when people don't think that religion somehow impacts people, I think it totally does. I mean, it's a belief system and you, children are so 
moldable and malleable that if you give them a system, that's what they're that's what they're judging everything against. And if it doesn't conform to something, I was a dick before. Like <laughs> I realized that, like, oh, maybe my religion isn't the only right one. Like it took me a while to be like, ah, oh, fuck, like I'm being an asshole to everyone. And I, I think that I don't think religion is inherently damaging, but I think when you give children black and whites as far as like yes or no or rigid categories and things it fucks them up a little bit like because it's not based on anything real like it's based entirely on a bunch of old men sitting around in hats yelling about something and all agreeing like okay now this is bad instead of like accepting like well maybe this is you know the nature of things like the new pope's kind of chill with everything i mean he's still a pope so he still like has issues and he's supposed to have issues with things but in general, it's it's a weird thing to grow up with. I don't know if you have the, this is going to be like a loaded thing. Because like, I just feel like, and not just with like the priest abusing children thing, but like, just in, like, if you read the history of the Catholic Church, like mm-hmm. the, the Pope and all the, I don't know what the higher up dudes yeah. are. Like they, Cardinals. Yeah, they all yeah. have kids out of wedlock. I've been to Vatican <clears throat> City yeah. and it is a, a city of gold. It is like <laughs> with some Wizard of Oz shit. Like everything is fucking shiny and beautiful and it's yeah. the most expensive place on this goddamn planet. Yep. And I'm like, but don't, but like the nuns take vows of poverty and you're supposed to yeah. essentially be taking these, you know, vows of, of poverty and, and, uh, chastity is i don't know what men's chastity is called but like yeah you're supposed to be you know the the mouthpiece of god essentially on this earth and mm-hmm. not you know wearing prada which the last right. pope i think was wearing prada oh like yeah so how do how do catholics like reconcile that because to me i'm just like hypocrisy 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 mm-hmm. and i'm not even you know i'm, I'm just talking about like uh, historically factually speaking like right uh, these men are not chaste like yeah <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and it's it's becoming unfortunately ever more uh, evident that there is what has been suspected to be, you know, issues and um, sexual deviance and everything else is it's real. I mean, this is I know people who were molested by priests growing up, oh, and it's not a great thing. It's not a fun thing for people. I think clearly, yeah. <laughs> molestation clearly is not a good word or anything about it is fun. But I, I, I again, this goes back to when you give people such rigid set rules and you give them only a few categories to understand things you're you're ignoring the fact that they're human and you're ignoring the fact that they have needs and when you suppress those needs they're going to find it they'll they'll justify in their head any other way to get it and i think that you know as far as the pope and everything else is concerned like yeah the last pope was rit- ritzy as shit whereas the new one's like i'm gonna go live in an apartment and he goes and feeds the poor at night like he's actually pretty down to earth minus a few some other nonsense but i mean it's the whole dogma of it but again like it's if you think back and you look at it like the church also went through the crusades and like they destroyed entire civilizations for shit unless someone corrects me and i'm wrong i don't know but like i don't think there is a reconciliation for that and i think that's a hypocrisy and of course we're all hypocrites to some extent um but I think when you're blatantly in someone's face being like, this is bad, this is bad, but then they're going to go do it. And I think that's an issue with anything that is could be considered religion. I mean, it's an issue. I mean, politics has become religion now. I mean, you have entire groups of people who are like, you can't do this, this, and this, and they go and do it. Like, And it's, I, I, don't, I don't understand why we're feigning it anymore. Like, why are we faking it? Like, why don't we just accept that there's things that are human? And that if you start, 
like suppressing it, it's damaging. And then people will do damage. People do damaging things. And I think when you have entire populations of people like priests who are, you know, they're not allowed to have sex, but they're, they're so much conformed to this idea of religion and um, this concept that they have to present themselves as a holy model that they have this internal conflict, right? Like they have this cognitive dissonance of like, I'm not supposed to do this, but my, your nature is to do certain things. And then they find ways or they express themselves in different ways and they can justify it to themselves. However, and I'm not saying every, clearly not all priests or whatever. I loved my priest growing up. He was great. He actually runs an LGBT community up in the church up there. Like he welcomes those people in. He makes sure that they feel comfortable and that they're welcome. And he makes sure that if someone tries to like tell them they're not right, he make sure that they're taken care of. Like there's good people and that's always going to be the case. But I think giving people again, that structure and giving them these defined rules is not okay. It's damaging. And I'm not saying we can go like crazy and not have laws or anything, but it's not cognitively, it's not psychologically good. It could be used for like, maybe that your priest people would be like, Hey, don't do this. And he's like, I'm doing it anyway. So Mm -hmm. it's, that's really great. It's really great to have that support, especially because I know as a, as a kid too, you look up to the religious elders. Like we had our, our rabbi, you know, Mm -hmm. like I I understand that. And you're like, this person is pure and good, Mm -hmm. but my rabbi had three kids. Like it was, that was totally okay. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, that's where I think I'm like, just, yeah, let people be human. Let, let everybody, you know, just not be assholes. Like that's like, I think religion has a lot of good, tenants to mm-hmm. it and i think that we should have some general guidelines for society yeah. but when you're trying to you know put too much control over how somebody does something or you know it, it, it can be problematic well and i i think that this isn't exclusive to religion right like this is exclusive to anyone who's in a position of authority or power and i think that you look at celebrities all the time mm-hmm. and we have these standards for them and then when they do something crazy everyone's like they throw their arms like well what do you? i'm like they're human like these people are human and they have an enormous amount of weight on them and maybe we should not be so fucking obsessed with them you know or not give them so much control like i don't I, people mention celebrities and like who i don't mm-hmm. care like what do they do like yeah. i'll watch their product or do whatever like cool if i like it i like it that's fine but like i don't care about celebrities. Like, I have a few that I like and I follow, but I don't... This obsession is insane. And I... I, When I say, like, I have an issue with, like, religion or, like, a structure, it's not... I don't mean that, like, things that are just about, like, the divine. Like, a religion can really be anything. And some people's religion is, like, following pop stars. Or the religion is following their political party. Or the religion is mowing the grass. I don't know, but like, <laughs> it could be anything. But when you put too much emphasis, it's like when people say never meet your heroes, they're human. And people are going to fuck up. And it's, you got to, we're not giving people, we're not accepting that people are human anymore. And that's wild to me. Like when a celebrity has to go to the rehab or something and everyone gets all like, upset or disappointed like that they're struggling like and they're exam and they you know if they're in a position maybe they should be the people to really be the advocate for how they get help and fix things 
I think for celebrities, it's hard too because, like, if you go to rehab, everybody fucking knows. Oh like, yeah. If I ever, I have not been to rehab, but if I ever needed to go, I would probably just say I'm taking two weeks off, or, you know, on vacation. Yeah. But like, you're you're in this constant spotlight. It's, mm-hmm. Is that something that you you want for you? Like when you do stand up, no. is like, what's your goal? Like, do you want to write? Do you want to act? Per, like, just have a stand up special? Like, what's your uh, professional goal for that? So, <laughs> I don't. I don't have like a, a, a clear cut career path i really don't because i don't ever want to not be able to like go to kroger in like my shitty like clothes and have my sweatpants and like clearly be not willing to i go in the kroger now or any grocery store with my headphones in. like i don't want to talk to people and i'm not even a celebrity like i don't want that because it's not that's not a life that's there's nothing to that like i don't want people to be following me i i like doing comedy because a it's therapeutic to me I get a lot of therapy out of it when I can't go to my therapist. <laughs> um, my therapist tells me to go to do comedy because it's helpful. That's awesome. Yeah. She also she also has this tendency that like when, when we're in a session, she'll just stop me. She's like, yeah, that'd be a good joke. I'm like, I know my life's a joke, but I'm here to get some shit figured out. No, I don't want that. I think that's insane. And I think that I like writing. I love writing. I love writing stories and everything. And I like writing jokes. And I the feeling of making people laugh is really addicting. And just any, anytime you get someone's like, Hey, good set. Or like someone, someone you don't even know me like that was a good job and shakes your hand. That's all I want. That's all I need. And that's maybe that's not, maybe that's asking a lot. Maybe it's not asking too much. I don't know. And I don't really care. I just know that that's what I, I need out of it. This has been so much fun. I could talk to you all day. Yeah, this no. has been fun. This is awesome. Can, can you let everyone know where we can find you and you know, any potential like dates coming up yeah. or, um, you know, social media, whatever. So a few different ones. Um, you can find me. My comedy on Instagram is Rory Eustace Comedy, mostly because that's where I post for my shows. Where I every two months I have a show at Bosco's in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, it's a comedy show that we find uh, local talents and people from out of town come in as well. Um, the October show is going to be awesome. It's called uh, Bosco's Bonanza Apocalypse. Basically, we're going to have Eric Tate, who was just on national television for Penn and Teller, doing some magic comedy. He's amazing. Brooke Hardy's going to be on it. Wonder Dog's going to be on it. Um, it's really going to be an incredible show. Uh, my my podcast will be launching in, I am hoping, in a week and a half. It's, gonna be, it's called What We've Ruined. It's about uh, what millennials are blamed on ruining, and we talk about the different areas of it. Uh, you have everyone who, from people who have started their own film company and production studios to people opening their own gyms or people who are, you know, of different minorities talking about what it's like to try and come out and deal with comedy. And I think it's a really cool avenue for it. So you can catch me on all that. Find me on Twitter at BumbleFrets1. BumbleFrets is the name of a cat I drunkenly named in college. So it just <laughs> stuck. And that's where it's at. Um, what? You spell that. Oh, out. yeah. B U M. B L E F R E T S one because I had Bumble Frets before and then I deleted it and then I had the remake one and it couldn't let me so I had to add one to it um, or Facebook whatever I don't know my name is Rory Eustace uh, this has been great I love it yeah thank you so much Rory and I'll see you all weekend at yeah. the comedy festival awesome all right. thank you so much it's our new job they have a coworker uh, who's from Kentucky and his name is Carl. And you can tell. And uh, we went to lunch one day, and we're driving back, and he's in the passenger seat on his phone, going through Facebook, but going through my Facebook, which is a little weird. And we get out of the car, and we're walking up to the building, and he stops dead in his tracks. He looks at his phone, he looks at me, looks back at his phone, and goes, 
Rory, are, are you a gay? <laughs> I said, yes, Carl, I'm a gay. I'm one of the gays. Wow, never had a gay friend before. Still don't. <laughs> not going to start now. That's not how friendships start. Being like, you're in that category. You're one of mine now. No, I don't, I'm not a Pokemon. You don't collect me. That's fine. <laughs> I don't, uh, <laughs> I have a lot of debt. Uh, because I would get really drunk and buy things on Amazon that I don't need. Um, has anyone else ever done that? What did you get? A coffee grinder? Okay, yeah. You? What's a deep top? What's a deep? Oh. Okay. Well, I bought a tank top that was three sizes too small that said I bottomed for Hillary Clinton. And I'm still far prouder of that t-shirt than what's been going on in the last couple years. So get drunk and buy stuff. It's fine. Another thing I bought drunk uh, was something called a sad lamp because I'm a millennial, so I'm depressed. And... I bought this sand lamp, and what it is is that it's supposed to emulate the sun to make you feel better about life. Well, my office space used to be an elevator shaft, so there's no windows, and there's three of us stuck in this little cube, and so I have this light at the bottom just shining up at me all the time, and I look like a fucking side quest in Skyrim. Like, you can come and complete quests with me. And I'm pretty sure there's someone in, like, the boiler room that's just like, find the man in the elevator shaft. He will lead you to find uh, uh, alcohol tolerance, but it'll lower your credit score at the same time. Thank you. You gotta follow through on that. Uh, a lot of people can't tell that I'm gay, which I find is funny, but I know me, so that's that'd be why. Uh, and I went to the doctor recently because I thought I had a hemorrhoid. Um, didn't. Uh, I'm just gonna some cream. I don't know. But went to the doctor, thought I had a hemorrhoid, and so I got these like reverse stirrups, and he goes, you know, he puts on this industrial lube, and he just says, all right, Mr. Eustace, you might feel a slight pinch, this might be very uncomfortable, and like this, and he just slides right in and goes right back out, and he goes, Mr. Eustace, are you a homosexual? I said, yes. How could you tell? He's like, well, you didn't flinch and you backed into it. <laughs> I didn't even know I did that. <laughs> That's fun. Uh, <laughs> speaking of anal, uh, a little bit ago, someone messaged me on Facebook. I swear it's not going that way. But a little bit ago, someone messaged me on Facebook, and they said, I found these coupons in a book somewhere, and I'm pretty sure they're yours. And I looked at them, and what they were, were coupons that my boyfriend from college of like 10 years ago gave me that basically said, uh, free anal sex, redeemable at any time, does not expire, only for Rory Eustace. <laughs> Which means, that you could just find one of these things, and then we just have to have sex, which I'm fine with. However, I asked where he found these. He said, oh, just found them in a thrift store. <laughs> that there are just coupons all throughout Midwest Ohio that are just for free sex with me. I'm like the gay Willy Wonka now. <laughs> If you want to view paradise. 
ที่อันจันช่วยทำอะไรครับขอบคุณที่ติดตามและขอบคุณคุณผู้ชมที่ติดตามรายการของเราและขอบคุณคุณเจฟฟ์ฟาลล์และไรอันกอลล์ที่ช่วยทำให้เราได้ทำรายการของเราและขอบคุณทุกคนที่ติดตามรายการของเราและขอบคุณทุกคนที่ติดตามรายการของเราและขอบคุณทุกคนที่ติดตามรายการของเราและขอบคุณทุกคนที่ติดตามรายการของเราและขอบคุณทุกคนที่ติดตามรายการของเราและขอบคุณทุกคนที่ติดตามรายการของเราและขอบคุณทุกคนที่ติดตามรายการของเราและขอบคุณทุกคนที่ติดตามรายการของเรา Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.